It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Welcome to the newest edition of the Giants huddle podcast. My name is John Schmelk. Today's guest, Pro Football Hall of Famer and Super Bowl champion, Bill Polian. Before we get to Bill, I want to remind everybody that you can find the Giants Huddle podcast on Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants mobile app, but of course, all your favorite podcast platforms as well. Subscribe if you're an Apple podcast. Please leave a five-star positive review. And now let's welcome in our very special guest, Pro Football Hall of Famer, Super Bowl champion, former general manager of the Bills, Panthers, and Indianapolis Colts. That is Bill Polian. Bill, thank you so much for joining us on the Giants Huddle. First and foremost, I hope you and your family are safe and healthy in what's been a very difficult year. Thank you very much. We are, thank God. Uh, and it's been a very difficult year for all of our fellow citizens. So uh, we count ourselves very blessed to, to be okay. Yeah, same here, Bill. And let me start here. As a former general manager and evaluator, what was the first thing that went through your mind when you saw what the training camp rules were going to be in 2020 following what was a non-existent in-person off-season program? Well, <clears throat> my first thought really was, how do you make this work? Uh, the rules are what they are. Um, they've been determined by the medical professionals. Dr. Sills is a, extremely well-qualified and and very dedicated, and the people that are working with him uh, are, are the same. So the rules are what they are, and therefore, um, how do you how do you make this work? So uh, you know, there's any number of ways to approach it, um, but that was my first thought as to how how we proceed going forward. And these are the rules for the fans that might not know. Players can opt out um, by August 3rd if they so choose. Day 7 to 14, and that basically starts now as Veterans Report, will be all strength and conditioning with some walkthroughs. Then you'll have OTA-like padless practices on days 15 to 20. And then August 17th, Bill, will be the first time you have a chance to have padded practice. You can have a maximum of 14 before the regular season begins. No preseason games, of course. So as a general manager... How would that impact your ability to evaluate the players on your roster trying to put together your 53 and your practice squad? Well, the ability to evaluate new players who are new to your roster is, is, is drastically limited. Keep in mind that, as we discussed this, it's against the background of rules that are in place for everybody's health. So nobody's, nobody's arguing with the rules. Of course. The question is, how do you, how do you implement them? So the, the fact is that you're not going to have a lot of time to evaluate players. And an additional fact is that the young players will be very, very far behind. New players, rookies, miles behind because they haven't had OTAs. They haven't had an off-season program. Uh, they're, they're in a position where um, all they really know is what they've learned in the, in the virtual meetings and, and haven't done anything on the field. And, and as Bill Parcells, famously said, and I've never forgotten, football is a game that you learn by playing. <laughs> you, you can't learn it in a classroom. You have to learn it by playing. And as a result, uh, uh, they're going to be very far behind. So uh, you, you chalk it up and, and say, look, let's, let's figure out a way to put the best 53 we can on the field. And, and that unit is going to largely be made up of veteran players who know what they're doing who've been through it before, 
and even they will be uh, less than ideally prepared because they will not have had any preseason games. But this is not uh, an ideal world, and, and everybody's operating under the same guidelines. So in that sense, it's a level playing field. But, um, you know, I, I, would, I would immediately say to the coach, listen, we, we really can't count on any major um, uh, in, in, infusion of energy or, or excitement or efficiency <laughs> from the rookies. Uh, let's go forward assuming that they're very far behind. Are there certain positions, Bill, that you think it's going to be even more difficult for rookies to integrate and others where maybe you think they're going to have a better shot? Well, I, I just came across some statistics the other day that, that go back through 2012, but they, they go all the way back to 93, the start of the salary cap era, so they're very valid. Um, rookies don't contribute at a winning level um, uh, in, in less than 50% of the time at any position. Quarterback, it's 34%. So rookie quarterback, good luck. You're not, you're not <laughs> going to have any efficiency there. But that's not news, is it? No. <laughs> not that Daniel Jones or, or, or anyone else around the Giants. It's just the way it is. And, and uh, it, running back contributes at a relatively high rate, 64%. Uh, still not great. Uh, the rest are all in the 50% uh, area. Center is the lowest among the the, the non-quarterback offensive positions, uh, obviously because it's very complicated. Just like quarterback, you have to make the, the blocking calls and identify the fronts and all of that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, it, it, normally speaking, they would not contribute at much better than a 50% ratio overall as a group. Uh, running backs and 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 outside rushers, edge rushers, uh, probably have the better chance because they'll play one in in specific circumstances. They won't play full-time. And two, the position lends itself to just one skill necessarily. And so they'll have a chance to contribute at those positions. But other than that, I would say it's if you're looking for efficiency – um, you're not going to get it from from a rookie player. In terms of not having the preseason games, Bill, and I've been watching Giant practices since 2007 when they were up in Albany, and we had a receiver, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with him, Sonoris Moss, where if you watch him in practice every day, you'd think the guy was a Pro Bowl wide receiver. Then you get the game situations and the production wasn't necessarily there. So without these preseason games, how do you think GMs and coaches can figure out what guys are just really good in practice and maybe it just might not translate the game situations? You really don't know. You really don't know. With all the talk that there's gone, that there's been in the business about we don't need preseason, you know, a lot of that is, is, is based on spectator and media viewpoints. If you ask the coaches, if you ask the general managers, if you ask the players even, uh, they will tell you, we need preseason. And now we're not going to have it. So that gamer that you brought along all the way through the preseason, he showed a little in the first game and a little more in the second and, and not so much in the third. And then you, you're using the fourth game to determine whether or not he can make the team and whether or not he can contribute. And all of a sudden he bursts out. And there's one every year for every team. 
uh, sometimes more, uh, is not going to get that opportunity. So he's going to be relegated to the back of the squad or the practice squad, and you're going to have to uh, bring him along slowly and, and hope uh, that if he's asked to uh, go up to the varsity and, and contribute, he can do it. But you won't know. You, you won't get that epiphany that occurs in the preseason when you see this guy who you think has a chance step out on the field and all of a sudden, boom, he's a player. What are some creative ways you think organizations and coaches, while working within the rules, of course, can try to get the guys ready from uh, specifically a tackling perspective, I suppose, would would be my biggest concern, given you're only going to have two weeks of contact practices, you know, probably only a dozen, give or take, whenever the off days are going to be, leading up to that first regular season game. Well, that, that's, a, that's a very hard question. Um, I think you've got to start by trying to be uh, innovative with the use of, of, of dummies, uh, perhaps the, the uh, remote uh, dummies or the movable dummies, you know, where, where, where they travel on their own motor, um, other things like that, um, perhaps pad up the offensive players uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a greater way than you do now so you can get uh, a little more tackling uh, in the in the nine on seven and, and eleven on eleven situations, uh, and not risk um, uh, not risk injury, uh, you're going to have to be really innovative. Maybe it's one on one stuff. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I would I would if I were general manager, I would I would have sat down with the coaches knowing that this was going to be the case. I mean, it, this was not a, re- a revelation. Uh, I would have sat down with the coaches early in April and said, look, tell me what you think that the best drills we can use to improve and, and make sure we get efficient tackling. Uh, and, you know, if you have to do a research project on it, if you have to talk to people around the country, high schools, colleges, whomever, do so. Uh, but you're going to have to be innovative because you're not going to get enough uh, pure tackling work during those 14 or 12 days um, to, to, to really be crisp and ready on game day. How do you think the transaction period towards the end of camp, when you know normally when you get past that third preseason game, and then you get obviously to the Saturday of Labor Day weekend, and you have everybody waved and they cut, they get picked back up on Sunday. Do you think there'll be fewer waiver claims this year because pro personnel won't have those preseason games? To kind of you know pick players off of other rosters that they liked in those preseason settings. Will there be more trades where teams maybe are trading veterans from positions of strength to try to fill out their roster? How do you think this will impact that part of the transactional process before the season starts? Well, we've never been here before, so this is this is just a guess on my part. Of course, <laughs> we don't have we don't have any information to go on here. Uh, but I would think you may see trades where clubs have a surplus and another club needs people either because they've lost guys to COVID during the preseason or because they just have simply have a shortage. Um, and, and so you may see more trades. I, I wouldn't rule that out. Uh, in terms of uh, waiver claims, there may be some, but common sense would tell me without all that film to look at, the pro personnel departments are really going to be hampered in terms of, of, of making firm commitments and saying to the coach, listen, if we bring in um, Joe Blow, 
he's <laughs> going to improve our team. We've, we've seen him on tape enough. You'll get waiver claims, I suspect, on veteran players where there is tape and they have a history and a background. But on young players, I'd be surprised unless someone's just going on their own college, their old college scouting reports. I think there'll be less of that without the preseason. Now, Bill, I think how they're going to assemble the practice squads for these teams is going to be fascinating. First of all, it's 16 players now. There's not as many limits in terms of veterans and things like that. And you figure with the risk of COVID, guys becoming infected, you want to have some guys that are going to step in and be ready to play. But at the same time, to your point earlier, it's going to be really hard to justify a bunch of undrafted free agents or even sixth or seventh round picks making the final 53 because they might not be ready to play. So you want to stash them on the practice squad maybe you don't want them to get claimed by waivers. So how do you kind of balance all those different factors when you try to put together that 16-man practice squad that best serves your team, not just for this year, but also for the future? Well, first of all, this is in no way a criticism of John Mara, who, who I'm sure uh, gave every effort he could, a Herculean effort to try and get this deal done. He, he was the lead guy for uh, – uh, for the management council. And uh, I, I can't imagine how difficult that task was. In a perfect world, having said that, in a perfect world, which it isn't, uh, the union had to had, had, had to obviously have their say, and, and, and they got you know, any negotiation, you give a little and you get a little. Um, so in a perfect world, I would have liked the practice squad to be frozen for the first eight weeks of the season. You can release guys off it, in which case they're free, but no poaches and no waiver claims at the cut to 53. Now, that's a perfect world. Um, I, I imagine there were probably some clubs who were opposed to that because they, they want to make waiver claims to improve themselves. Perfectly understandable. But this is such an untoward situation that, that I would have argued strongly for a frozen practice squad, at least for the first eight weeks. Uh, we don't have it. So you're likely to get some waiver claims by clubs who simply say, we really don't have a shot at the playoffs this year. Uh, let's try and build our team. And, and that's the way it's always been. So you're going to have to make strategic judgments as to who you carry down and then who you try to put on the uh, practice squad after the, after the final cuts have been made and the squads have been named. Um, that goes on every year. So that's business as usual. I kind of expect that the first three draft choices, maybe a fourth or a fifth if they're, or a lower round choice who really distinguishes himself in camp may make it, and the others will be put through uh, waivers, and there'll be some claims, and then you'll build your practice squad from there. Having built it, um, then what you have to do in conjunction with injured reserve, because the injured reserve rules are very liberal, that's the balance for not having a frozen practice squad. Uh, you know, if a player pulls a hamstring and misses three weeks of camp, you're going to put him on IR, and, and now you can practice him and bring him back. Mm. So uh, that, that helps a little bit. But I think you'll see more guys going on IR, legitimately so, because – to miss even one practice in this in this situation is difficult, much less three or four or five. Um, and then you'll probably see some waiver claims at the cut to 53 of young players if you expose them. 
Um, but that's a, you know, that's a strategic judgment that GMs and head coaches have to make every year. So that won't be any different than normal. Um, I would have preferred different, but that's not the case. So you, whatever the rules are, you know, you figure out how to work for, work, make them work for you uh, the most efficient way you can. Final question on roster construction before we get to the Giants specifically, Bill. Is this going to be, when they get to the cutdown process, more of a coach-driven exercise because of the nature of what we're doing and they really need guys that are ready to play right away? Or do you think it's going to be business as usual where they're trying to do that normal balance of you know what the front office and the scouts and, and you know guys' potential for the future with what the coaches need on the field now? In my experience, at 53 the coach has the loudest voice. He's got to take the team on the field the following week. So you, you give him every benefit of the doubt. Um, secondly, there isn't as much disagreement on who to keep as the, as the media likes to portray that there is. It might be over one or two guys. Mm. And you can, you can iron that out. Uh, you can iron that out well prior to to the cut to 53 uh but again at that point the coach typically has the loudest voice this year they're going to want to keep a lot of veterans i can understand that unless they unless you were going to wave a first rounder or a second rounder or a guy that you thought had young guy that you thought had oodles of of upside um you know you probably keep those guys as the as the as the 52nd and 53rd guy. Um, but the coach gets to the majority of the people that he wants. That's been my experience. All right, let's get to the Giants specifically, Bill. And they get to throw on top of the mess we just talked about, the fact that they have a new head coach, a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator, and a second-year quarterback all trying to figure things out without even touching the football field and really meeting in person, which is just the craziest thing you can imagine if you're trying to run a football team. So what kind of unique um, challenges do you think face the Giants this year given all the changes they've undergone since the 2019 season? Um, well, you know, as the poem says, let me count the ways, uh, <laughs> having, having said that, let me send along a message through you to all giant fans. And, and since I root for my friends now and I'm no longer aligned, I root for the giants every week because of John Merriman, Dave Gettleman, and so many more people with the organization that I, that I, uh, you know, that I really think extremely highly of. Um, and I grew up a Giant fan anyway. So you've got football, hopefully. This is true of fan bases for everyone in the league, but more so for teams that are in a building phase like the Giants. Um, you've got football. That's great. Lord knows we need it. Yes, we do. Uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tremendous respite. And a tremendous relief during a time where we hear nothing but bad news. So we've got football. Be grateful for it. Let's hope we can keep it. Secondly, this team is a work in progress. And to think that a new coach and a new quarterback and, and a bunch of new players and new coordinators without OTAs, without extended training camp, without preseason could play with any level of efficiency for perhaps the first half of the season 
is, is, is simply not true. I mean, you can't, there are too many hurdles to overcome here. And I'm not a defeatist. I'm not saying give up. I'm not saying write the season off. But don't expect this team to come firing out of the, out of the, the uh, blocks as though uh, they were the Tom Brady New England Patriots of yore. It, it, it's, it's not going to happen. There are too many hurdles to overcome. That said, um, think like a general manager. As the season goes on, is the arrow up? Do you see signs of growth? Do you see this team getting better as the season goes along? Are they playing more crisply? Are they playing more efficiently? Are they playing good situational football? Is Daniel Jones growing in the job? Which obviously you saw signs of that toward the end of last year. If if that if all that's happening, rejoice in it. You're on the right road, and I personally believe that it's going to happen. But out of the gates, take it easy, man. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> Not to mention the fact that they get to open the season against the Steelers, Bears, 49ers, and Rams, four veteran teams that bring back their quarterbacks, all top ten pass defenses. So the schedule makers did not exactly do them any favors, at least from the offensive side of the ball. And that kind of brings us to Daniel Jones, Bill. How do you evaluate his, his first season with the Giants, and what are you looking for from him in year number two as he tries to take that big leap? Well, you know, keep in mind that, that I've had Kerry Collins and, and Peyton Manning, so, uh, you know, been there, done that. Um, the first year, you hope that he can get them lined up. Uh, you hope that he, he can get an understanding of the offense, maybe by midseason. You hope that he, by the end of the season, he's got some confidence and chemistry going with one or two receivers. And you hope that by the end of the season, as you generally view him, the arrow is up. I think all of that was true with Daniel. And so now, in the second year, and by the way, in, without COVID, in, in, a, in a normal circumstance, the jump a player makes between his rookie year and his second year is the biggest jump he makes in professional football. That will not be true this year because... These fellows have not had the, the, the advantage of OTAs. But having said that, Daniel has the advantage now of uh, knowing what the league is about. Now he has to learn a new system. He's, he's certainly bright enough, so I'm sure he's got that down. But now he has to go out on the field and execute that system. It'll be rocky at first. It's, there, there are going to be bumps in the road. It, it happens. That's the... That's the way quarterbacks grow. Peyton led the league in interceptions his rookie year. And it wasn't until the last four games of the regular season where we really saw the Peyton Manning that, that, that he became. Um, so the same is true with Daniel. This is a new coordinator, new offense, new head coach. He's got to adjust to it. He's had benefit of knowing the league and knowing what it's all about for a year. He's going to get better. And, and, and that's what you look for. That's, and, and I, you know, I'm not, I don't have the slightest doubt that he will. I, I think he's, I think he's an outstanding prospect and on the way to becoming an outstanding quarterback, but it's a work in progress. 
I think the X factor, Bill, and we've talked a lot about this on a lot of our shows here on Giants.com for the Giants this year, is going to be their pass defense. And as you well know, there are, there are two facets to this. Uh, you invested a lot when you're in Indianapolis and your two edge rushers, Mathis and Freeney, and those guys screamed off the edge and went after the opposing quarterback. Uh, the Giants have a bunch of guys that can pressure the quarterback, but nobody is really a guy that can demand that sort of attention. Then in the back end, in the secondary, they signed James Bradbury, excellent cover corner. But the slot, the nickel, and the other outside spot is really going to be a competition between a bunch of young guys. So in the league now, you have to cover and stop the pass to win. How do you evaluate where the Giants stand defensively as they head into this year under Patrick Graham? Uh, the way I evaluate it is let's talk at midseason and see where we are. When we finally find out who the starters are, who the guys are who fit into specific positions, how they're performing, it, it, it's, you know, I, I can give you a much better judgment from uh, from week eight on than I can now. Uh, and and then on top of that, you won't even, they won't even have the preseason in order to get cohesive in the system. So, uh, again, this is a, this is a big work in progress and we don't even know what the, what the lineup's going to look like. Uh, and, and, you know, that may change two, three, four games into the season. Do you think this will be a situation with the Giants where the offense is a little ahead of the defense because there's more continuity of personnel, or is it the other way around because maybe the offense obviously has more moving parts and it is a little bit more complicated from a scheme standpoint than the defense is? Well, one way to make the offense work is to block people, with, <laughs> and a lot of that is, is want to, and, and then hand the ball to Saquon. Yeah, it helps. So <laughs> that helps greatly. <laughs> so I would imagine that the offense may be maybe a little bit further along in the early going because Saquon can do marvelous things if you give him even the slightest daylight. And, 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 and Daniel's got an ability um, to do things in the passing game um, that, that, that really is pretty exceptional. So you, you got two, albeit young, but two guys with difference-making talent there. Um, I, I don't know that we've seen difference-making talent necessarily emerge on the defensive side. I'm, I'm, I'm as anxious as you are and all Giant fans are to see it. How do you think Jason Garrett's schemes will match up with what Daniel Jones does well? How do you think those guys will, will, will kind of weave together? Jason Garrett, in my mind, was the, uh, uh, you know, maybe the biggest offseason addition the Giants made. Um, he's a terrific coach. Uh, I'll bet you a lot of Giant fans don't know this. The Dallas offense last year was number one in the league. Yep, yards per game. Yep, in, every, in almost every category. Um, and, and his fingerprints were all over it. Um, can he turn Saquon into Dallas's running back? You bet he can, because Saquon has the same ability. Um, the offensive line has got to perform and, and, and do its job. Um, he's going to do wonders for Daniel, just as he did for, for Dak. And, uh, you know, I, I have the utmost confidence in Jason Garrett. That was a phenomenal pickup for the Giants. Now, you're locked in. You know, you talk to coaches and everybody around the league. So, Bill, you know a lot more about these up-and-coming assistants than, than we do, kind of looking on the outside in. What did you heard? Uh, what, what did you hear about Joe Judge before the Giants hired him? And what kind of head coach do you think he's going to be? Because we haven't had a chance to see him in action yet. 
No, you haven't, and 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 really, we haven't either, except uh, his exposure uh, as as the special teams coach of the Patriots. So let's start there. The Patriots figure out a way every, virtually every week, uh, and almost always in the biggest games, to win on special teams. Uh, they're the most. Uh, they have the most game-changing plays on special teams uh, than anybody in the league, uh, including those with phenomenal return guys uh, like Kansas City, you know, with Tyreek and people like that. Week in and week out, the Patriots special teams won the battle, and and so that's a big check mark because it tells you a that he can coach and get through to his players, and b that he understands situational football. You can't work for Bill Belichick and not understand situational football. So those are two big check marks there. And then finally, um, he comes via Nick Saban. Uh, you know, Nick Saban and Bill Belichick in, in your background is, is a pretty good pedigree as it is if you did nothing else. So uh, uh, you know, he's used to winning. He's used to discipline. He's used to situational football. Um, he's used to sound and solid defense. He's used to sound and solid offense, so uh, he, he hasn't called the shots before. But the special teams coach uh, is in front of the team as much or more than the head coach, and he speaks to everybody on the team, and he's got to motivate everybody on the team. So I was not surprised to hear from insiders uh, around the league that his interview was dynamic. Uh, that didn't surprise me at all because – as a special teams coach, he has to be that way every week. Um, so, you know, the proof is in the pudding. We're going to find out, uh, and he's going to be in the toughest media market in football. So that that exacerbates uh, uh, his his maiden voyage a little bit. But all signs point to uh, a great hire. So we'll see. The proof is in the pudding, uh, and he's going to make some mistakes. And, Lord knows every coach does, and, and, and rookie coaches do a lot. But uh, uh, I, I think in the long run, uh, they made the right decision. A couple more quick questions with Bill Polian. Coach, uh, Bill, I asked you about Jason Garrett. I should ask you about Patrick Graham, the Giants' addition, a defensive coordinator. He held that job for Miami last year, comes over. Uh, what do you know about him from, from your time in the league, talking to people that have worked with him? He's been in the league for a long time, and, and – what kind of scheme do you think he'll try to implement here with the Giants? I, well, I don't know. I think it, it, it's probably going to be, um, it, it's probably going to have a two-gap base, I would guess, and and multiple coverages in the secondary. If if the Miami experience is 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 any uh, barometer, uh, but I'm as anxious as you are to see what the see what the uh, the finished product looks like on opening day. Yeah, absolutely. Dave Gettleman, he was a scout of yours during your time in Buffalo. I know you guys are still close. Uh, Dave always speaks uh, very proudly of his time there, um, getting into all those Super Bowls with the Bills. Where do you see this team in terms of the stages of the building process, Bill, and how Dave has built them up and and what needs to be done and, and just kind of where they are in that building process? Well, first of all, I you know, there's nobody I think more highly of than Dave Gettleman. Uh, and and he wasn't a scout of mine. He was a friend long before uh, either of us got to the National Football League. So uh, um, you know, I go back with him a long, long way, and and have 
the utmost faith in, in his judgment and direction. I think this is the Giants are a work in progress. Um, they've got a young quarterback who shows a world of promise. they got a, a, a scintillating running back who can take over games. Um, they've improved the offensive line, which was necessary. Uh, the defense is, is in, a, in effect an overhaul, uh, so that's going to take time to, to, to uh, put in place. Um, they've had a little hiccup in the kicking game. They don't have necessarily a reliable guy there now that you can count on week in and week out. So it, it's a it's a work in progress. But I think the question all Giant fans should ask themselves is, do I have faith in the track records of the guys who are in charge? John Mara, Dave Gettleman, um, the new coach, Coach Judge, um, Jason Garrett, uh, those guys all have outstanding track records, and uh, and that's that's a, a sure sign that you're on the road to success. Will there be bumps in the road? You bet. And of course, in New York, they'll be magnified. But the bottom line is that uh, I, I, you know, I have faith that the job's going to get done. Bronx-born Bill Polian joining us on the Giant Subtle. Bill, thank you so much for the time. We really do appreciate you being so generous with us. And I'm knocking on wood right now. Hopefully we'll be enjoying about five months of football here and a full 16-game season in the playoffs. I surely hope so. Thank you, and stay safe. And stay. Uh, I hope your, your, your listeners stay safe. You too, Bill. That's Bill Polian, Pro Football Hall of Famer, former Super Bowl champion, longtime NFL general manager, giving us his informed take on how the unique circumstances of 2020 will impact the New York football Giants and the National Football League. We thank him for joining us on today's edition of the Giants Huddle Podcast. I am John Schmelk. Thank you for being with us. want to remind you, you can find the Giants Huddle Podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms, the Giants mobile app, and, of course, at Giants.com slash podcast, where you can find all of our podcast offerings, including... The Giants Huddle Podcast, Big Blue Kickoff Live, our daily call-in show, and, of course, Giants Rewind with Carl Banks. Thanks for being with us. Make sure you check all those podcasts out. We'll see you next time on the Giants Huddle. Stay safe, everybody.